Good morning, everybody. Y'all awake? Everyone enjoyed the one hour less of sleep? Is this microphone good? Can y'all hear me? Is that good? Y'all hear me in the back? Okay. Everyone enjoyed the one hour less of sleep today? Good. I'm glad to see that the church is still full and there's not many empty seats right there because as I was saying during uh, earlier this morning, as you know, that historically one of the least attended days in church in the United States of America is the Daylight Savings Day where we lose one hour of sleep. But I'm glad to see that that's not affecting us because we have a very important subject to talk about, and that's why you came today, because you know that this topic that we're talking about here is so critical for every one of our lives. If you're just joining us today, we're in the middle of a series called You Are What You Eat. And we're talking about the spiritual food that we all need for our souls. And what we agreed last week is that while so many people out there are so worried about what their bodies eat and what their bodies are hungry, we said if you look and took the spiritual, the condition, the state of our souls, that sometimes our souls are screaming out to us, but we don't hear it. Our souls are screaming out, feed me, I'm hungry. And the way that we feed our souls and we feed our spirits is through the word of God. Because as we saw last week, Matthew 4, 4, is that man shall not live by bread alone, but by? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, Matthew 4, 4. And last week we saw that the Bible is not an ordinary book. And we saw why we can trust the Bible. It is a God-breathed book, and it is the Word of God itself. Now what we're going to do this week is we're going to get a little more practical. And now that we understand what the Bible is, we want to see what the Bible does. And I want to talk about the role of the Bible in our lives. But before I do that, before I do that, I want to tell you a story. And it's a story about Manny and Annie. Manny was a nice young man who lived somewhere overseas, like he was from here, but then he had to, at some point in time, travel, and he lived over in Europe somewhere. And Manny reached to the point where he got his degree, made himself successful, and he realized now it was time for him to meet a nice young lady and, you know, take that next step in life. So Manny did what every good Christian boy and girl would do. He went to retreats and conferences and conventions and did his best. Okay, this is the purpose of these events. And he did all those things, but he wasn't able to find anyone that he felt would be a suitable partner for him for life. So Manny had some friends back in D.C. And Manny's friends in D.C., you know how we do it here in D.C. We take care of our own. And Manny had some very good friends who said, don't worry, we'll take care of you. We know this great girl. And her name is Annie. And they set Manny up with Annie. The two hadn't met, but they told Manny everything he needed to know about Annie. Where she's from, what she does, what she looks like. Like everything he needed to know about Annie, he gave, they gave him all the information. He said, that's the girl I want to spend the rest of my life with. But there's a problem. Annie didn't know Manny. So this is back in the day all right, when people used to use a thing called a telephone. Okay. And they used to have these weird telephones that used to be attached to walls. This was back before emails and, and, and texting and all that stuff. So he used to pick up this thing, connect to the wall with a wire called a telephone, and he would call her, and they would talk on the phone. But the problem is, especially back in the day, international rates were so high that they, you couldn't talk every day on the phone. So what Manny did is Manny would write letters, again, before email. But every day, he would write a letter. Manny loved Annie. And he would write a letter every single day and, and long letters telling her about his, like, dreams, his, like, 
plans, his emotions, like everything you need to know about Manny, he was writing in these letters, and they were long letters, but they were so full of emotion and so full of his very nature, like his very spirit was poured inside these things. And, of course, Annie, like any engaged girl, would get that letter in the mail and, you know, and she would look at it and she would make like little love hearts on the thing. And she would just read every single one and she loved it so much. But eventually with time, like I said, Manny was writing every single day. And some days they were short, some days long, but every single day he wrote. So every day he should get one in the mail. Eventually, started to get a little busy. So she would take the letter every day, but she wouldn't have a chance to read it. So she'd put it in her backpack and say, you know what, I'll read it when I get home. And then eventually, busy after busy, it became, she wasn't able to read it every day, but she would just put them all together. And then when she was like on the metro, she would like try to read two or three of them together when she was on the metro. And then eventually she didn't have time even on the metro because she was busy. So she would just, you know, whenever she could, compile as many of them together, and just kind of skim through the highlights and, you know, just kind of get the main message of the letter. But she wasn't reading every single one on a day-to-day -day basis. Then one day, Annie's sitting there at home watching TV, and she hears a knock at the door. She opens the door, and it's a very handsome gentleman. And he's got, like, a suitcase with him. And she says, can I help you? And he's clearly annoyed. He's clearly annoyed. And he says, what do you mean, can you help me? Where were you? She says, excuse me, sir? She says, where were you? How come you weren't at the airport? She says, I don't know what you're talking about, sir. He's like, you don't recognize me? And she said, I had no idea. And then he said, it's Manny. And he said to her, he said, how come you weren't waiting for me at the airport? I told you in the letter that I'm going to be there this time, on this day, on this flight. And I told you exactly what I would be wearing. I told you exactly what I would look like. And you weren't there. So all of a sudden, she realized she made a big boo-boo here. So she tried to calm him down. It's okay. Come in. Come in. Why don't you have something to drink? What would you like to drink? So he said, I told you in the letters exactly what I'd like to drink, exactly what I don't like to drink. And I told you everything you needed to know about me. And she started crying because she realized the big mistake she had made. And she said, no, 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 don't be upset. I'm really, really sorry. It's not that I didn't appreciate your letters. Look, and she pulled open the drawer and said, look, here's every single letter that you ever sent. I didn't throw one away. I didn't even allow one to hit the floor. I kept each one very, very safe until you came. And he said, but did you read it? How do you think it's going to work out between Manny and Annie? Do you think his marriage got a, a shot to work? Manny is short for Emmanuel, who is God. And Annie is every single one of us. The Bible says this, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. It says, By this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. For Manny to marry Annie, she has to know him. He cannot marry somebody who does not know him. He wants to marry her. He knows everything about her. But in order for this marriage to work, she needs to know him. And the only way that she can know him is by reading the letters that he sent. And if she chooses not to read those letters, it's going to be very difficult for those two to have a relationship. In the same way, 
Our goal is not to read the Bible. We talked about this last week. The Bible is a book. It is not, we do not worship the book. We don't worship the paper and the ink. We don't worship the actual book. But what we do is we worship God who is written about in the book. And we worship God who actually breathed the book into existence. So because we worship God and we want a relationship with God, we have to have a relationship with the letters that he wrote us that tell us about himself and tell us what he likes and doesn't like and when he's coming and when he's not coming and what he's going to look like when he comes. And if we ignore the letters and we have no relationship with the letters, then we can't have a relationship with the fiancé who wrote the letters. That's why this is what I say to you. The Bible. Why do we need the Bible? Because the Bible is the primary source by which we can know God. The goal is not to know the Bible. The goal is to know God. But the means by which we know God is through the Bible. Is the Bible the only way we know God? Is the Bible the only way God speaks to us? No. And I don't want to say that it is. God can speak however he wants. I can't limit God. But it is, without a doubt, the primary way. Yes, God can speak through dreams. Absolutely. God can speak through thunder. God can speak through a donkey if he wants to. God can speak through anything he wants. But the primary way, 99.9% .9 of the time in today's era that we live in, 99% of the time when God speaks, it's through the scriptures. Again, he can speak through dreams. He can speak through other things. But that's not the common way which he chooses to speak. That's why for us, our goal is we must, as Annie with the letters, because we love the fiancé, we must love the letters. Because we want to have a relationship with the fiancé, we must have a relationship with the letters. Because we care very much to have deep intimacy with the fiancé, then we must have deep intimacy with the letter that he has written to us, which tell us all about him and who he is. Last week, if you remember, we talked about how the Bible is not an ordinary book. The Bible is breathed by God. Remember the Greek word, theonoustos, which means... God, Theo, Nustus, breathe. The Bible is the breath of God coming through the vocal cords of the writers of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Isaiah, Jeremiah, etc., etc., etc. Those are the vocal cords which God breathed through them and brought the Bible. But there's no value to anything in the scriptures when it's sitting on a shelf. There's no value to God's breath. Like, it's not like osmosis. Like, look, the breath of God. Look, there it is. And I'm knowing God more. Why? Because I'm putting the words of God and I'm rubbing my head on it. It's not by osmosis. It's not by blessing. It's not by, it's not by pictures. The only way that the breath of God leads to a relationship with God is if I open it and I read it. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 11, verse 28. One time, someone was passing by and they said to Jesus, talking about his mother, saying, man, you're a miracle worker. Blessed is your mother. Blessed is the lady who bore you. Blessed are the breasts which nursed you. you. She must be a blessed lady. He said to her this. He said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And I want you to know that word keep doesn't mean have. Like that word keep doesn't mean just keep in my possession. Keep means keep close to me. Means protect it. It means take it and guard it and safeguard it and, and make it something important in my life. And, and we, just like there's an expression that you would say, like from the Bible and also in the church, we'd say to someone like a priest, we'd say, may God keep you for us. Okay, may God keep you. May he protect you. May he hold you. And may we keep the word of God. 
What we want to talk about today is I want to talk about three benefits or three reasons why we need to have a relationship with the Word of God. And as I wrote in your handout, not just to read it, but to consistently read it. That's why what I'm going to say right now is when we have a, a relationship, a consistent relationship with God's Word, what are the benefits you will see in your life? But let me preface it by saying consistent is the key word. I'm not saying you can open a Bible one day and you're going to read for an hour and then all the good stuff of heaven and earth is going to open to you. That's not how it works. The way it works is that we have a relationship. It's a consistent. I'm talking about the person who is investing 10 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, 40 minutes a day. The one who is investing in the relationship with the word of God, what that person can expect the word of God to do in his life. Not the person who just kind of dips and dips out. That person, no benefit to that person. Not the person who just comes and reads it once a year. That person, no benefit. We're talking about the person who has a consistent relationship with the Word of God. Three things that I believe will target three of the most common problems that the people around looking in this room here today, three of the most common problems that we have today, and I'm going to show you how the Bible, consistent Bible reading, is the answer to those three problems. First one, the Bible cleanses my thoughts. The Bible cleanses or purifies or sanctifies my thoughts and my mind. The Bible helps me to think properly. As I mentioned earlier, I was doing a little bit of traveling this week. And anytime I travel anywhere, without fail, without fail, anytime I'm traveling and I go, like I was invited while I was there to, you know, meet some, some of the people from the church and like do a little meeting and stuff like that and people come and whatever without fail there's always one person pulls me aside says i need to talk to you they could talk about all kinds of different problems always i get to this one problem someone who comes to me and says i feel so much shame i feel so much guilt i feel like god can't love me without fail i don't know what it is about me that attracts people who hate themselves okay Always someone who feels that big in God's eyes. Now, no one else will know that because no one portrays that. But when they find a priest who's from another place that probably won't judge me because he doesn't know me and he's leaving the next day, they come and they say, you know what? I act like this, but I feel like this big. Understand me. That's a sad state. That's one of my favorite parts of every church. Understand me. Not because I want to see a person like that, especially because usually it's a younger person, and, and majority of the time, 75% of the time, it's usually a female person. As sad as it is to see why that's one of my favorite parts of every trip, because that's sad, but there's nothing more joyful than seeing the light go on in that person's head. And I love to see that person, and I got it ready. Once that person comes to me like that, have a seat, we're going to get through this. Right? And I start to go, and I have my little spiel that I go through, and I start to, uh, first I start you off in Psalm 103. And I show you how as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, as far as he's moved our transgressions from us. And it says that he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. So lady, girl, whoever it is that you are sitting in front of me, I'm telling you that God feels more bad than you feel right now. 
Because God's greatest desire is to take that sin and put it from the east to the west. But how does he do that? And we go 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. And we go that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He wants to forgive us. He wants to remove the guilt. But lady, what we need to do is we need to confess it. We need to bring it before him, and we need to repent. And then you know what happens if we repent and we bring it before him? He forgives us, he washes us, and then I go Romans 8, 1. That if we are in Christ, there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there's nothing better than seeing that person, the light go off and say, you know what? Yes, I don't need to let my past dictate my future. I can live free. And yes, I've made mistakes, but I see that I have a Savior who loves me and cares for me. Let me ask you a question. The person, the light went off. Where did the light go off from? Is it because I told them nice stories? Or because I told them, no, 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 trust me, trust me. Even though your entire life and everyone around you says you're worthless, no, trust me, you're a good lady. What gave the power to cleanse the thoughts and think in the right way? The word of God. I didn't say anything. I just found three or four verses and I present it in front of you. And these three or four verses speak powerfully into people's lives. And if you don't have a consistent relationship with the word of God, you don't have the powerful words to cleanse your thoughts and your mind. You're subject to all the lies that the devil is putting inside there. Bible says it this way. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Speaking about marriage, but speaking about something grander than marriage. It says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. The word of God sanctifies us. It cleanses us. It takes the bad thoughts that are in there that the devil's lying to us, telling us that we're no good, telling us that we can never amount to anything, telling us that we've gone too far, or the opposite, telling us that we're okay and we're fine and don't worry and you're in a good state. Whatever those thoughts the devil puts in there, the word of God cleanses us. I promise you, behind every negative behavior that someone has, there is a negative thought, a lie. Behind every sin is a lie that the devil puts in there. And what we need to do is we need to fight those lies with the truth of God. How, if my mind is full of lies of devil, does the Bible remove those lies? Let me give you an example, an example I give many times. Let's say I got up here a big bucket, a huge bucket, like a big bucket, like a hot tub worth of water, and it's full to the brim. And I want to remove the water from that hot tub. So I try to pick it up and dump it. Can I do it? No. So let's say I bring Fadi up here and say, Fadi, come help me up here. Are me and Fadi going to be able to do it? No, sorry. How about if I throw Josh up here? Maybe Mr. Regans. Maybe, maybe the four of us together, we get it like this high off the ground and knock out like a splash. Maybe. And through that process, we will be absolutely exhausted. We'll have no energy. We'll be very frustrated. What's a smarter way? How can I get the water out without any of their help? If I take a rock, a rock, and I throw it in that hot tub, what's going to happen? The water's going to splash out. What if I get another rock? It's going to splash out. I get a rock and a rock and a rock and a rock, maybe a brick. 
and I'm not saying tonight, and I'm not saying tomorrow, and I'm not saying the next day, but I promise you, if you are committed to every day throwing a brick inside that hot tub, there's going to come a point in time where there's going to be no water left inside that hot tub. Agree? The Bible replaces lies with truth. The Bible, the verses in the Bible, the words of Scripture are those rocks that fight the water, which is the lies the devil has put inside us. There's no hope for you. You've gone too far. You're bad. You can't do it. Or you can't forgive that person. After what they did to you, resentment and bitterness, all those lies that the devil puts inside our heads, the word of God is the antidote because it removes them. Let me tell you a nice quote here from St. Augustine. He said the following. He said, the word of God is your adversary if you are a friend to ungodliness. So if you want to live an ungodly not life, the word of God is against you. But if you are an adversary to ungodliness, the word of God is your friend as well as the adversary of your ungodliness. The word of God, when you look hopeless, depressed, low self-esteem, when you look sin in the eye, the lies of the devil, you look it in the eye, and you fighting on your own, you got to take this with you, because this is your weapon. Because this is the weapon that tells you who you are in Christ. And this is the weapon that tells you who he is and where he is going. All right, we know where we are and where we are going. We know where he is and where he's going. So we don't listen to his lies that tell us that we can't win when we have the Bible with us. There's a famous story in the tradition of the, of the, the desert fathers, like the monks and all that kind of stuff, about a monk who came to his, like, his father monk, his like teacher monk, like he was a disciple, he came to his father, and he was telling him about some spiritual practice or discipline that he was struggling with. And he was struggling to do it, be it prayer, Bible, whatever it may be. And then the monk told him, like the elder monk, told him, take this bucket, okay, it was a wooden bucket, and go all the way into the city, fill it up with water, and then bring it back. So the monk goes, and he fills it up, and he comes back. Now what happens as he's coming back to all the water? All the water goes through. So he brings it back, but he's just being obedient. So the elder says, okay, go do it again. Okay, I do it again. I be obedient to the old guy. Okay, he does it again. And he comes back, and again, no value. All the water's gone. So he says, "Okay, this was a fun little game, but can you answer my question about the spiritual practices?" He says, "Okay, go do it one more time." He does it one more time. And this time is a total waste of time. It's the exact same as the three times. This was, what was the benefit of that? That was a total waste of time. I didn't capture any of the water. And the elder monk said, "Yeah, you know what? But look at your bucket. Certainly is clean, isn't it?" The word of God, which you don't see necessarily having an impact on your life, is cleansing your mind every time it goes in and goes out. Or it shouldn't go out, but you know what I'm saying. It runs through. Every time the word of God comes in and swirls around in there, even if you don't remember a thing that you read, I promise you it is cleansing. And I'm promising you not based on my word. I'm promising you based on the word of Jesus himself. When he said in John 15, 3, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. You are clean because of the word which I have spoken to you, the word of God cleanses us. And a lot of us are in need of massive cleansing in our minds. When you get down, you don't need a coffee break. You need a word of God break. When you feel frustrated, you don't need to turn on the TV. You need to run to the ice cream shop. You need 
any break in that kind of sense. You need to go to your word of God. And you need to find time every day. And especially, I strongly encourage you that like in your work day and you find yourself, look, man, you take coffee breaks, you take water breaks, you take snack breaks, take a 10-minute word break. Take a 10-minute word break in the middle of your day. After lunch, okay, or before lunch or whenever it is or you want to go crazy on someone, take a 5-10 minute and just read something in the word of God. And I promise you, you, are, you, that word of God will cleanse your mind in ways that you may not see. Nine out of ten times, nine out of ten times, a person who is feeling down, nine out of ten times, is a person who is not regular in their Bible reading. It cleanses my thoughts. Number two, the Bible increases my faith. The Bible increases my faith. Anybody here got perfect faith? Anybody here moving any mountains, walking on water, five loaves, two fish? Anybody? Nobody. We all need more faith. Because you know what I discovered? There's two ways you make decisions in life. Every decision comes down to one of two things. You either make a decision based on fear or based on faith. And the majority of us are making decisions on a day-to-day basis based on fear, not on faith. How do we increase faith? The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How do we increase faith? Do we just hope for it and and please give me more faith and please give me more faith and please give me more faith? No, no, no. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I guarantee you, think back to your most faith-filled moments. The moments where you were ready to run through a brick wall. Were you ready to jump off a mountain? Moments where you were so confident in God's love and God's provision and God's care for you. And I guarantee you, it was centered around the word of God in some way, shape, or form. It was a verse you read. It was a sermon that you heard about the word of God. It was a a, a verse that somebody sent you in the email at the right time or whatever it is. It's the word of God that gets in there and it activates our faith. And that word of God comes inside and all of a sudden, yeah, I can do this. That can be me. That verse can apply to me. The difference between faith and faith coming through the word of God versus like self-help books. The Bible doesn't just tell you what to do. It gives you the power to do it. I can find you a self-help book that says, um, stop all your bad habits. Okay, thank you. I can find you one that says, uh, don't be stressed out in life. Okay, that's very great. I don't know how to do that. But when the Bible says it, it comes with power. And the Bible doesn't say just don't be stressed. It says don't be stressed, and I will give you the power to reach that state. It doesn't tell us just to believe. It says to believe, and I'll show you why you should believe, and I'll give you the power to believe because the Bible is different than any other book because the Bible is not a book. The Bible is a living word. The Bible says this, Hebrews 4.12. It says the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible is not a dead book. Self-help is a dead book. It's just words on paper. The Bible is not a dead book. The Bible is a sword. And when you take the Bible and you put it inside, you take a weapon inside you. And because the Bible is alive, it gives you power to do the very thing which it is telling you to do. That's why the Bible doesn't just give us advice. The Bible doesn't give us guidance. The Bible does 
is it replaces fear with faith. It replaces fear with faith. When it goes in there, fear gets pushed out, faith gets pushed in. This is why I'm a big, big proponent of memorizing scripture. Because you need power. And you don't always have access to the internet to download a sermon. You don't always have access to the Bible to look up that verse. That's why King David in, in, in one of the, the Psalms said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, that I have a power with me throughout the day. And that's what I'm saying. Why, when, we, when we have those verses, our faith gets activated. I'll tell you a story. Okay, I'll share a little bit for me. One of the verses that will always be near and dear to my heart, and it should be near and dear to your heart as well if you're a member of this church, is from Luke chapter 14, verse 26. And the verse says this, and I'll explain why. It says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This verse came to me at a certain point in time back in the year 2011. At that point in time, God had been putting on my heart. At that time, for those who don't know, I had been serving at uh, St. Mark's Church. I'd been a priest for uh, about 10 years. And I had invested my entire life into that church called St. Mark's. My entire life was invested in it. I was a member of it from when I was one year old. Parents were members. Like, I was a member for the longest time. Eventually, I got ordained. And I gave everything. My house was right next to it. They had a school, okay, and I was the headmaster of the school. Like, my kids were there. Like, we were all in. My entire life was invested in this building. And then I felt God telling me, I want you to do something else. And that, for me, wasn't easy. And I struggled with that for a long time. Like, the church, God wanted, I, we don't know, God, when God told me to start the church, Whereas when it actually happened was a long time. There's a lot of struggle because I said, but I can't. It's my house. It's my family. Like nobody has been in there longer than me. Like I've invested everything I got into this building. There's no way, God. There's no way. I can't do it. This is my spiritual family. It's my spiritual father, my spiritual brothers, and everything my life is invested in there. But God is a persistent God. God doesn't just drop it. Okay, you're right. You convinced me. That's not how God works. This verse came to me three times in one week. Three times in one week. Three times in one week. Came in my quiet time reading, which is totally random. And then it came as the gospel reading on a Sunday. And then on top of that, on the same Sunday, it was a verse that I had prepared for the, the, the it was, a meeting was called Light and Life. It was a, a meeting that I was giving. and It was a talk I was giving. And I prepared based on this verse. Three times in a five-day period, this verse came. And you know what? I still wasn't smart enough to figure it out. Even after that. I read it on Wednesday, saw it on Sunday, and I saw it on, I've been preparing for it for Sunday afternoon. Someone came to me the following week. It was like Tuesday or Wednesday the following week. And someone, God had put the same thing without even talking. There was no talking. Someone came to me and said, I feel like God wants you to do this. And basically told me the vision of this. And I had never spoken to this person. No one ever spoke, but God put it on this person's heart. And I said to this person, same thing I've been saying to God for months. Saying I can't. How could I? How could I leave my family? And then that's when God... You know, the, that, okay, that's, God gave me like that. And she told to me, she said, the, you, the way you get to a priest or any preacher is you say, but didn't you say, that's the way you get to us. You don't give us Bible verses. We know more Bible verses, okay? We can we get back to you the Bible verses. But you say, I don't know anything, but I know that you told me this. And she said that. And she said, you just preached this past Sunday that if anyone does not hate 
His father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, his own life cannot be my disciple. And that verse hit me like a ton of bricks. And I told her, no, get out of my office. But God had already done the work inside of me. And I held this one verse. And every time I would think to myself, how am I going to leave my spiritual father? Okay, Father Beshoy, who's the senior priest there, he's my father. How am I going to leave him? How am I going to leave all my friends? How am I going to leave all this stuff? And this verse kept coming to me. And God was saying it. I know it sounds like a negative, but God was saying it to me in a positive. God was saying, you can do it, boy. You're my disciple. You can do it. And then when I couple that verse, is a verse in Mark chapter 10, where Jesus said almost these exact same words, but in a positive way, he said, anyone who has left houses or brothers or father or sister or mothers or lands for the gospel's sake and for mine shall receive a hundredfold and eternal life. When I couple those two together, I promise you, if it wasn't for those two verses, we wouldn't be sitting here today. I promise you. Those verses what got me through. Those verses were my rock. And those verses when I, I can't, and I don't know how. Those verses, no, yes, you can. You're my disciple. Yes, you can. And those verses are what got me through. You could give me a pep talk. You give me a speech. You give me a self-help. You give me all those books. It wouldn't have done anything. But the word of God is powerful, is living, and is sharper than any two-edged sword. When that word of God comes inside, and the word of God says, you're going this way, then it gives you not just the direction, but it gives you the power to fight your way through whatever obstacle it is when we're consistent with the word of God. So number one thing, the word of God helps us to fight against the guilt and the shame and the lies. It gives us truth. Number two, the word of God helps us to fight the fear and gives us faith. And number three, greatest problem that we have in the world today the word of God lights my path. The greatest problem we have in the world today, I believe, is a problem of confusion. We don't have bad people in the world. We have great people. There, there's not a bad person who's sitting here today. You know what there is? Is confused people who don't know which way to go. It's not that anybody wants to disobey God. We all want to obey God, but we just simply, we don't know which way to go. The Bible is there to light our path. Psalm 119, verse 30. If you want a good passage about the Bible, Psalm 119, you'll see me refer to it many times because Psalm 119 is all about the power of the scripture and the word of God. King David says this. He says, the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. God wants to use his word to bring light to our lives, to guide us and to show us which direction to go in, what decisions to make. Now, let me ask you a question. Like we say this all the time, that God's word like helps us make good decisions. We say that. Let's be honest. How does it do that? How? I'm trying to decide, marry boy A or marry boy B. How am I going to open it up here and it's going to say, yes, Jeffrey is the boy you should. Is that what's going to happen? I'm trying to decide what to major in. And this is going to tell me what to major in. I'm trying to decide which city to move to, which job to accept. Like, come on. Like, enough with the baby talk. I got big decisions to make. Does the Bible help me make those decisions? Absolutely, positively, 100%. But you just got to understand how it works, man. Problem is not that the Bible doesn't work. The problem is you don't understand how it works. Key verse is this verse. Again, same chapter, Psalm 119, verse 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Let me ask you a question. How does a lamp light your path? Back in the day, okay, this is before flashlights, right? And this is before, like, electricity. People had lamps. And I'm walking down the road, and it's pitch dark, and I got a lamp. And the lamp, how would the lamp light my path? Would I hold the lamp, and it would show me the golden path? Is that what the lamp would do? What does the lamp do? How much does it show me? 
Just one step. It just shows me right here. It doesn't show me right there. It just shows me right here. The lamp only shows one step. Okay, but I want to know how to, what that step is going to be. Okay, how do you find out the next step? Take a step. <laughs> and then a new one opened up. Okay, well, I want to know that one. Okay. <laughs> Take a step. Our problem is we stand here and we say, the Bible should tell me what to do there. You know what the Bible told you? The Bible told you, love your enemy. That's the next step. And do it. And if you don't do it, you're not going to see the next step. Because the next step said, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. That's what the Bible said. And then the Bible said, the lamp of the body is the eye. And whoever's eye is good, his whole body is full of light. Well, eye is bad, whole body full of darkness. The Bible just gives us one step at a time. And if we want to know the next step, the next step is there. But you got to take the step. And if you don't take the step, you're never going to know. And then you know what's going to happen if you take the step? You know what's going to happen? Here you are with so many choices. You're so many different places. You don't know what to do. You start reading the Bible. And the Bible tells you this step. You start reading the Bible. The Bible tells you this. You start reading the Bible. And then God, through this, the Bible is going to lead you to a place, to a corner. You know what's going to happen in that corner? You can say, which boy to marry? Well, there's only one here. Which job to take? There's only one choice. The word of God, for those who are consistent with the word of God, decision making becomes easy. Because the word of God leads us in the path where he wants us to be. And the people, like I said, the Bible replaces confusion with the next step. The people who struggle with confusion and don't know, I'm telling you, I tell this to people all the time, they don't believe me. Read your Bible. Uh, you say, I know, I need to say, read your Bible. Because it's your Bible that puts you on the path and the people who don't struggle with decision making, I promise you, those are people who are close to their Bible and have a relationship with the word of God. And God leads them to the place where decision making becomes easy. I don't want to say easy. Let me, let me take back that word easy. Not that decision making becomes easy, but decision making becomes clear. That's what I want to say because the steps are hard. I'm not saying the steps are easy, but it becomes clear. God will never, there's no lamp. Find me a flashlight app. Okay, we got apps these days. Find me an app that can light the next 20 miles. There's no app that can do that. You can find a flashlight to light here, there, and there. That's it. That's how flashlights work. And then if you want the next step, you take a step. This is why, like I said last week, and I hope you believe me, that the most important time of your day is your time in the Word of God. I'm not just saying that. I promise you, it doesn't seem like it. It seems like it doesn't have an effect, but I promise you, it has an effect. Next verse here, Psalm 119, verse 99. It says, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. Again, not I read your statutes, but I do what with them? I meditate on them. Your word is not just five minutes in the morning and that's it till the next day. No, your word is always on my tongue. Your word is always in my head. That's what I'm saying right now. God is putting it in front of us. He's saying, I'm giving you faith. I'm sorry. I'm giving you the truth to think properly. I'm giving you faith to take big steps. And I'm giving you discernment to tell you, to, to show you the direction you should go in. And now it's up to you. You want a little bit of discernment? Read a little bit of the Bible. You want a little bit of truth? Read a little bit of the Bible. You want a little bit of clarity in your life? A little bit of faith in your life? Read just a little bit of the Bible. It's up to each one of us. But God has given to us everything that we need to have faith, to have truth, and to have discernment and wisdom to know his path. That's why I say this. I say the Bible is the only book 
that has the power to unlock my full potential in Christ. Everything that God wants me to be, this book will lead me there. It won't give it to me. I'm not saying I read it and then I cheat. No, no, no. But it will lead me to it. Watching TV ain't going to unlock your full potential in Christ. Checking Facebook a thousand times a day ain't going to fulfill your full potential in Christ. Taking selfies with people in the street ain't going to unlock your full potential in Christ. We do those things, and then we wonder why we live subpar lives. Lies in our head, fear in our hearts, and confusion all around us. You know why? Because we spend very little time invested in God's word. Last verse. This is our memory verse for this week. All right. John 8, 31 and 32. Read it with me if you don't mind. It says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8, 31, 32. Always memorize the reference with it as well. Makes you sound more intelligent. Okay. <laughs> Everyone has heard John 8, 32. You shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. It's a verse that I knew before I even knew it was a verse. And a lot of people don't even know that it's a verse. People will, you go to, I go to universities that don't, don't even mention the word God anywhere, and I see this up on a plaque. You shall know the truth, and truth shall make you free. And they quote it as if it's some random statement. You cannot take verse 32 without taking verse 31. And verse 31 says that if you abide in my word, you're my disciples, and then you'll know the truth, and truth shall make you free. If you abide in my word. But if you do not abide in my word, there's not this, this, this intangible truth that's out there that'll make you free. Where's the truth? The truth is found in the word of God. And when you abide in the word of God, again, not visit the word of God, but abide in it and meditate on it and stay inside the word of God, then you will know the truth, and that truth shall set you free. And that truth will allow you to unlock your full potential in Christ. Last thing I'll say. Imagine you are a child of Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett, rich guy, got a lot of money. And because you're a child of Warren Buffett, he writes a will before he dies, and he leaves you a lot of money. And you have this will in front of you, and it's this big, thick document, which says your inheritance. And you take that big, thick document, you open up your drawer, you put it in there, and you lock it away. You are now officially the dumbest person in the world. Because you are living as a poor person, trying to make ends meet, and you have a piece of paper inside that tells you, hey buddy, you're a rich person. Just open this up, go to this lawyer, show him this piece of paper, and you got bazillions of dollars waiting for you. Bazillions waiting for you that this document tells us. But you have it locked up. You're a dumb person. I promise you, Warren Buffett is not as rich as God. Warren Buffett has got nothing on our father. Man, we have a rich dad. We have a rich dad. And our rich dad has a rich inheritance for us. And every time that you open up his word and you read, and you read about that inheritance, you know what it is? I always think of it like, like land that you are, like inheriting land, like like, I read this, and I'm like, I didn't know I had that. I now have a new piece of land. And the next day I open it up, I say, I have a new piece of land. And every time we read God's word, every time we open the scriptures, we are claiming more stuff in my pocket. 
Oh, I didn't, my get, oh, let me put more stuff in there. Discernment, let me get some of that discernment. Guidance, faith, power, healing, truth. And every time we read God's word, we're accumulating more and more stuff. And we're going to walk back to our homes with all this inheritance stuff. And our wives are going to say, where are you going to put all that stuff? And say, don't worry, I'll put it in the garage. I'll build something. This stuff is too good. This stuff is too good. Look what my father keeps giving me. But then many of us, because we don't go to his word, we can live as poor people. We beggars our whole life. Please, somebody give me some faith. Please, somebody give me some light. Please, somebody clean my thoughts. Help me. And the answer's right there. This week, we're going to stick with John 8, 31 and 32. We're going to memorize this. And the way you memorize a verse is you say it throughout your day. You memorize a verse by you repeat it throughout your day. And we're going to memorize this. The second half, I'm starting you with easy verses. We're going to get a little bit more challenging. But we want to keep that word of God inside us. All right, last week's. Y'all remember last week's verse? Y'all remember it? Say it with me if you remember it. Last week's verse. First reference. We say reference, verse, and then reference. Last week's verse was Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Matthew 4, 4. That's an easy one. This one we're going to go John 8, 31, 32. It says, say it with me. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. John 8, 31, 32. It's time for us to live a rich life. All right? We don't want to see any poor people amongst our brethren right here. And this is the way we become rich. Let's stand together for a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for being a rich father. And for calling us poor kids to be your children. Lord, we want to take the riches that you have for us. We want to understand them. We want to claim them as our own. Give us, Lord, to, to, to have the discipline that we need to read your word, to understand that your word isn't just there to, to check off a list, say we did it. But your word is there to cleanse us. Your word is there to increase our faith. And your word, Lord, is there to guide and light our paths. I pray for every person who's here that you would help each one of us, Lord, to get into your word and relate to your word and understand your word and to hide your word in our heart. Even memorizing a verse like this, Lord, we need your help to be able to do it. But we pray, Lord, that through this series that we're strengthening our relationship with you through our relationship with your word. We pray this in the name of your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all very much. Have a great week. See you all next week.